Good evening. Thank you, Kevin. We're going old school tonight. I'm going to use, uh, use the whiteboard a little bit. You know, in order to do this His Word study, we're going to have to dedicate some Sunday nights to it as well in order to get all the way through it. And tonight is one of those nights. So we're looking at Luke chapter 1, specifically verses 39 through 56. This is Mary's one-hit wonder. She sang a praise hymn to God when she found out that she was going to birth the Messiah. And do you know what a one-hit wonder is? Yeah, one-hit wonder is basically a song that uh, a recording artist put out there and it reached the top of the charts or at least got close to the top of the charts and it was the only hit they had. They turned out other songs, but this was the only one they really had. Uh, examples would be like I Ran by Flock of Seagulls. I'm sure all you know that song. <laughs> Macarena, you know, those are examples. Um, but we shouldn't feel sorry for people, these artists that come out with one-hit wonders, because even though they only had one hit, that hit usually made them a lot of money. I don't know if you remember the name Bobby McFerrin. He had the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Uh, he did some other things in music and still continues to do so, but of his $4 million net worth, that one song contributed a lot uh, to that net worth. Even though he had no other songs that were, you know, at least that he did, that were popular, that one made him a lot of money. And Mary had a one-hit wonder. We call it the Magnificat. And if you look at, at Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46, let's read the lyrics to it. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Okay, so in Acts chapter 20, Paul talks about how when he preached, he discoursed with the brethren. So it's okay if you talk here, right? That's allowed. That's scriptural. Behind every song is a story. A recording artist usually comes up with a song based on the emotions that they are going through at a time or maybe something they've dealt with in their life. And certainly that's the case with Mary, right? There is a story behind her song. What is revealed about Mary in this song. What do we know about Mary based on this song? Any ideas? Humility. I love it. Yes. I'm colorblind. Is that black? Can you see it anyway? Yeah. Good, because I'm not changing, so. <laughs> what else do we learn about Mary? Obedient. Very much. Hey, you guys are picking the ones I was going to pick, so that's good. I don't write very well either. Can you read that? Okay. Because that's probably not changing either. You know, I, I think when we read through this, we learn something that kind of goes along with all these. Trust. 
I mean, I think we see that Mary trusted in God. I mean, you think about what emotion she would have felt. You think about the position that this put Mary in. The fact that, that she was going to be found pregnant in the betrothal stage, which was a no-no, right? Not only was it a no-no society, uh, uh, from a society's perspective, but, I mean, fornication was condemnable under the law. She could have been stoned to death. So not only was it going to be embarrassing as she had to deal with this, she couldn't hide it as her belly expanded over time. People were going to know. Not only did she have to deal with uh, the issues from society, she had to deal with the fact that her life could be on the line, right? And yet she trusted. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Trust, obedience. What else could we say about Mary? Gratefulness, yes. I don't know how to spell gratefulness, so I'm going to put thankful. How, how about also courageous? I think there's something to the fact that I think there's something to the fact that God chose this this poor teenage girl from a, a obscure, nothing little town instead of some pampered royal darling. I think God saw in Mary, someone who was tough, someone who was courageous, someone that could handle all that was going to be surrounding her because of this whole ordeal. And I think one of the biggest things that stands out to me about Mary as far as her, her courageousness or her, her bravery is at the cross, right? I don't know about you, but I couldn't have been there. If that was my son on the cross, I couldn't have been there. I may have wanted to be there. I may have wanted to stand there and, 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 and be there for him in his dying moments, but that would be hard to watch, wouldn't it? I mean, can you imagine that? Seeing your son a bloody mess as they drove the spikes through his wrists and through his feet. I mean, can you imagine being there and seeing him in such agony as he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama thabachthani. Can you imagine that? And yet she was there the whole time. She was there... God needed somebody tough to, to not only be there at the cross, but to raise this, this Messiah, to change his diapers, to rock him to sleep, to be there for him and sustain him, provide for him as he's growing up, right? She was there from birth to his death to his rising. Beautiful portrait of motherhood. You know, it, it's interesting when I go speak at other congregations um, my bodyguard usually goes with me Robert Odell and he keeps me company helps me drive if it's a you know if it's a long trip or something like that and we always joke because every congregation there's there's one member that will bend your ear forever and you can't get out of there and we always laugh about that because we say you know there's always that one you, you just can't you, you're trying to get back on the road and you're trying to get out and you're trying to be nice but you can't get away and and it's funny because uh, you've never met them before, but they always want to tell you about their kids and their grandkids, whatever the case may be, and, and you're like, okay, I mean, that's great. Sometimes they'll come up and they'll ask me questions about my kids and stuff as a springboard so they can tell you about their kids and their grandkids because everybody's proud of their kids and their grandkids, right? But they want to give you this resume, you know, and my, my son's a doctor, he graduated magna cum laude, whatever, and all that, and you, that's great, I'm, I'm proud, but I don't know you. I don't know your kid. That would help a lot if I knew your kid, but I don't. And so while it's exciting for you and to tell others about it, I just nod my head and say yes and think, well, I could almost be home by now, but uh, try to be polite. Mary had the trump card, didn't she? 
Everybody thinks their kid's great. Everybody thinks they got wonderful kids. Everybody thinks their kid's special. You imagine Mary having a conversation with one of the other mothers? So what's your son do? Well, you know, he's, he's a doctor. He graduated first in his class. How about you? Hey, he's a messiah. Yeah, yeah he's going to die for the sins of your great kid. Obviously, Mary would not have done that. But she had the, the trump card of all trump cards, right? I mean, if anybody had a reason to brag on their kid, it was certainly Mary. Jesus was destined to be great from the very beginning. If you turn over to Isaiah chapter 7, in Isaiah chapter 7, we see that Mary was always a part of the plan. Some seven centuries before Jesus, Isaiah wrote these words. Verse 10 and following. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men, that you will try the, the patience of God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time. He knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. So you go back to the Magnificat, Mary's one-hit wonder. And you may have noticed when we read a moment ago that this anthem is an exaltation that is overflowing with Old Testament phraseology. And it makes you wonder, did, did Mary put two and two together and realize that she is the virgin that is talked about in Isaiah chapter 7? Did she reach that conclusion that, that what the prophets pointed to, mainly what Isaiah pointed to, that she would be a part of that plan? That as the Messianic prophet talked about the virgin and that birth, that she would be an integral part of that, that it would all start with her. Do you know what Magnificat means? Any ideas? If you said magnify, you're right. Simply, it means magnify. When we talk about magnification, you cannot magnify someone or something you don't know. You know, when it comes to history, I can ask you a question like, do you know who Abraham Lincoln is? And you could say, yeah, I know, 16th president, right? If I, say, if I say, do you know who George Washington is? Oh, yeah, yeah, first president. Chop down the cherry tree. All that kind of stuff, right? But do you know Abraham Lincoln? Do you know George Washington? Do you know them on a personal level? And you would say, no, I didn't live back then. I don't, I, all I know is facts. All I know is what I read about in the history books or what other people tell me, right? Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that way with God. They know something about God. They know facts about God. They've, they've studied his word, and they know some things based on scripture about God. But do you know God? Do you truly know God? I've been having spiritual conversations with people for many years now. Maybe you've had these conversations where you're talking to somebody, and they're talking about God this, God that, and they get done, and you think, yeah, that God's not in the Bible, though. All these things that you're pontificating about and all these things you're philosophizing about and all these ideologies you have about God, not the God in the Bible. We've got to get to know the God in the Bible, right? You cannot magnify someone you don't know. 
And the only standard there is for knowing God is Scripture. You can talk all you want about all these other different philosophies and ideas you have about God, but you don't know God apart from Scripture. There is no knowledge of God apart from Scripture. A knowledge of God can only come through His written Word. Why do you think He wrote it? So if we're going to go know God, we're going to have to magnify His Word. We're going to have to be intimately acquainted with what He has said. Our knowledge of God must come from the Bible alone. And that's why you hear me say all the time that we can't stay up in the clouds. We've got to land the plane at some point. We've got to land on something concrete. And the Bible gives us those concrete answers and that concrete knowledge that we can have about God. There's always going to be question marks that come with knowing God. But we shouldn't put a question mark where he has put a period. There are things that we can know and things that we should know in order to magnify him. You know, Mark Twain once took a tour through Europe and he was honored by many prestigious universities. And upon finishing that tour, Twain's daughter said, Daddy, I guess pretty soon you will know everybody except God. What a sad commentary, right? You may know a lot of people, but do you know God? Do you trust in him? Are you obedient to him? Do you humbly thank him? Are you courageous for him? Do you stand boldly for him? Do you magnify him in your life? Notice verse 38 of Luke chapter 1. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. That's what Mary said. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. You talk about trusting obedience. She was a true worshiper. Notice again her words in verse 46. My soul exalts the Lord. There's a great deal of emphasis on education nowadays, a great deal of emphasis on knowledge. I guess there always has been. But that knowledge has to go beyond mere facts. If you're going to magnify God, you better know something about him. Why is it, why is it so important that we know something about him? Because life begins and ends with him. That's it. Life begins and ends in a relationship with God. And your life will only find meaning in a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Magnification also leads to humility. Mary was humble, wasn't she? She magnified God. That's what her Magnificat was all about, magnifying God. But also, she was humble. When you magnify something, you make it bigger. Use a magnifying glass to make the words on the page bigger. Use a microscope to make whatever it is on that slide bigger. You enhance it. You magnify it. And as Christians, that's what we should be doing in our daily lives, right? We should be magnifying God. We should be magnifying Jesus. Other people can look at us and see a representation of Jesus. We make him bigger. They may refuse to see him. They may decide they don't want to see him, but it won't be because we didn't try. It won't be because we didn't make him apparent by magnifying him large enough so that they could see him. Although God is bigger than we can imagine, we can also see that his character, his word, those attributes like mercy and love and kindness, those are things that we can magnify in our daily lives. We've talked about it before, but Isaiah 6 and verse 5, the prophet recited these words. He said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I, have, I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah confronted the holy God and realized he couldn't stand. Why such a reaction? Why the reaction of Peter when he found that he was in the presence of the Messiah? Why would he say, go away from me, for I'm a sinful man? Because he realized that he was in the presence of the Messiah. He was in the presence of holiness, of deity, and he realized that he couldn't stand. 
And so when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to magnifying Him, when it comes to magnifying our Lord, we also magnify ourselves, and that's not a bad thing. When we come in contact with God, we realize our depravity. We realize our sin, and we realize that we cannot stand. And that's not a bad thing, because we will never get salvation if we don't enter into the presence of our Lord, right? But we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to put... We've got to put God into our heart, make him first priority, bow to him, and realize and recognize that we are nothing on our own. That our life only finds relationship in him. Magnification also leads to exaltation. We see that as well, right? My soul magnifies. The better we know God, the more fervently we worship Him. I hear people talk all the time about how they don't have to come to church to worship God. I hear people say quite often, you know, I can worship God on my own. That's a deficiency in the relationship. You wouldn't think that way if you were closer to God. I believe that with all my heart. If you knew God truly, if you were closer to God, you would not feel that way. You would not make statements like, I love Jesus but hate His church. The more you know God the more you want to magnify him. And that includes worship. Over and over again in Scripture, we see people who came in contact with God or Jesus and their first reaction was to bow low because that's always going to be the first reaction. When you're in the presence of holiness, when you're in the presence of God or Jesus, the instinct is to worship. When you're close to God, you worship. The closer we are to God, the more natural it will be to magnify him in praise and worship. Here's the takeaway. I'm trying to give you a takeaway with every one of these passages that we're studying through this year. But the takeaway that we get from the passage that we're studying this evening is that Mary said yes. Didn't she? She said yes. I mean, there were going to be grave consequences. You know, maybe from a societal standpoint. I mean, she was going to endure the whispers and the sneers and all those kind of things. I mean, again, her life was on the line as far as the Old Testament law was concerned. And yet, Mary said yes. She was bold and she was courageous in saying yes. What did she say yes to? Well, she said yes to a great burden. You know, the turmoil, the heartache of raising the suffering Savior. She said yes to the great joy of being the mother of God, of God's Son. The reward of being God's chosen to bring the Messiah into the world, she said yes to that. But to bear any responsibility that is God-given means enduring consequences, doesn't it? And as you know, following God's will is never easy, but it's always worth it. The takeaway from Luke chapter 1 applies just as much to us. Will we say yes? Will we say yes to God Regardless of the consequences, will we say yes to his plan and understand what saying yes means? Saying yes doesn't mean a life of comfortability and convenience like we talked about this morning. Saying yes means joy, it means reward, it also means burden, doesn't it? There are things that we will have to endure. Whether you're a Christian or not, there's things that you'll have to endure, right? But... Those things are much easier to endure when you have God on your side. My friends, the Bible is always going to be safe if you keep it about them. 
Bible will always be safe if you keep it about them. If you're able to look at the different stories in Scripture and say, yeah, that's, you know, that, that's them, that's not me. If you can look at Mary's story and say, wow, what a great woman, what a woman of faith, and you know, I can't believe that God chose her and all that, you know, that's fine and good, but how does it apply? Because if you look at Scripture and you take the knowledge away from it without the application, then you've done nothing. If you can't see the application for your own life, then what does it really mean, right? Knowledge without application is nothing. The Bible wasn't meant to be informative. It was meant to be transformative. And so in order to know God, to know his will, to say yes to his will, we have to magnify his word. We have to learn about Mary and see how we can maybe magnify those characteristics in our life. And so we ask the question, do you, do you want to be like her? Instead of keeping her out here and saying, well, the Bible is about this or that. No, it's, no, it, it's about me too, right? Do I want to be like Mary? Do I, do I want to, to have God depend on me like he did her? Am I magnifying God in every area of my life? Am I trusting him with my life? Even when it's hard, like Mary, can I say my soul magnifies the Lord? You see, the problem is... We want to say this word, but we want to add a word to it. We want to say yes, but. Yes, God, but not my money. Yes, God, but, but not too much of my time. Yes, God, but not today. Yes, God, but I've got work or I've got school. Yes, God, but... What if? But magnifying God, having a relationship with Him, being humble, obedient, trusting, thankful, and courageous means that we take that word out and we just say yes. We're willing to do your will, God, whatever that will may be, wherever it may lead me, here I am, send me. I trust in you. I will follow you. Yes. Yes, God. Mary said yes. And it made all the difference. Be like Mary. If you have a need tonight that we can help you with, if you're struggling with your faith, if you're struggling with saying yes, then let us help you with that. Maybe you're someone who hasn't gone all in yet in a relationship with God or Jesus. Maybe you're ready to study this word that is not meant to be informative but transformative. We'd love to do that with you. We say it every week. Don't leave here without being right with God. Everyone's going to take a last breath. Be right with God. Come now as we stand and as we sing.